one strike from victory. Two outs. And here's what you pay to see the best ever. Baronta jumps on this pitch deep left field. What is going on, Birdland? Steven here for the Final Strike Podcast, brought to you by the Baltimore Battery. Episode 35 is underway. This will be the final episode of Season 1 of the Final Strike, and I want to thank all my listeners for all your support, your encouragement, and thanks for helping make this show a successful one uh, for me as well. Uh, recent statistics have informed me that 5% of my viewers have me as their top podcast. So I really appreciate the support and I really appreciate seeing that type of success that we're having, which means you all are coming back and listening and you all are supporting the ability for me to proceed with season two, which we will talk about later in the show of when we will get underway. Uh, hope everybody had a wonderful and Merry Christmas. And I want to wish everybody a wonderful, safe, happy and healthy new year. Uh, 2023 came by, uh, and went pretty fast and it was a lot going on when it came to the Baltimore Orioles, a lot of good, a lot of, you know, meddling stuff that was more behind the scenes, uh, a lot of it pertaining to the lease. You know, we heard a lot about the lease, you know, starting last February when the Baltimore Orioles opted out of a five-year extension, um, which made 2023 the final season of the lease. And up until December 31st of this year at 11.59 p.m., the Orioles had a lease. After that, there would have been no lease. Luckily, the Maryland Stadium Authority, uh, Governor Wes Moore, and the Baltimore Orioles all came together on an agreement that would keep the Baltimore Orioles in Baltimore for at least 15 more years. Um, it can jump up to 30 based off the Orioles' ability to obtain the developmental rights around the stadium. That includes some state-owned buildings and offices. Um, they have until March of 2027 to obtain those rights. If they do obtain those rights, that would extend the lease another 15 years. Uh, so that would make it a 30-year lease. If for some reason that they do not obtain those rights but are satisfied with the plans and the development around the area, the Orioles have the option to pick up that other 15 years again, securing an, uh, to make it a 30-year lease as well. There are also some extensions on the back end of this lease, which could make the lease a maximum of 50 years in Baltimore. So good news is we have the Orioles minimum 15 years, uh, probably going to be closer to 30. Um, but we can have them up to at least 50 years right now based off this new lease. One of the good things about this lease being signed is it opens up the $600 million of taxpayer-funded bonds that was already promised to the Orioles uh, by gov former Governor Paul Hogan uh, when he was, um, I don't know if it's Paul Hogan, excuse me, Governor Hogan, when he was in office um, at that time, it was actually $1.2 billion worth of taxpayer bonds, uh, funded bonds that were to be utilized for Camden Yards and M&T Bank Stadium. So the Ravens already started utilizing theirs. Once the lease was signed, it did open up that money. So the Ravens uh, had already signed their lease, so they were eligible for it. Now the Orioles have theirs and they're eligible for it. And 
one of the interesting things is in the lease process, the Orioles had to outline ideas or thought processes of what they would do with that $600 million. This is something that I have a feeling Comptroller Brooke Learman had some interjection in. Um, and on that note with her, I just want to mention that I will be having an interview with her next week about the lease, her role in the lease, what stipulations she put forward to make sure that the lease was beneficial for the state and the Orioles, as well as the fans, and how she protected the taxpayers' money. So be on the lookout for that in the Baltimore Battery. We will have that interview coming out sometime next week. I do meet with Comptroller Brooke Learman on the 2nd, so... Um, We'll find out a little bit more about that as well. Anyway, back to the $600 million in bonds. Um, first thought, especially when you hear John Angelos in the middle of the year talk about how he'd have to drastically raise prices in order to lock up key players and compete with the bigger free agent market. Kind of wonder, okay, what is this guy going to do now that he has $600 million to utilize an improvement? You see... The good thing about the improvements is the improvements are coming out of this money, which means there's more money for the team to use flexibility-wise. With this money, some of the improvements that have been suggested have been the possibility of the Orioles adding bars, um, restaurants, possible hotel rooms out at the warehouse, VIP areas, kids' centers, and stuff like that. They want basically a revenue flow, a steady revenue flow, something like they did down in Atlanta with the Atlanta Braves ballpark. Um, so they want to bring in extra income, which is something that would just benefit spending with the Orioles, whether it be on up-and-coming young stars, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, uh, Jackson Holiday, who seems to be next in line, Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish, you know, players like that, you know, you all have your veterans you want to you want to keep around as well, such as, you know, Cedric Mullins, uh, whether it be Austin Hayes or Anthony Santander or both with Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad knocking on the door. It's kind of hard to see if we keep both of them or not or whether we trade one of the younger guys. Um, but. Part of it involves removing the upper deck left field seats. And the upper deck left field seats are not used often. They're opened up for, you know, special series, weekend series, and playoffs. Uh, other than that, they remain closed. And it's just not a profitable area of the ballpark. Utilizing that section and putting a... Uh, high-rise bar you know it's a way for adults to come get some drinks uh, maybe some bar food or restaurant food who knows it could be a bar restaurant and view the game from a different aspect and you know you can do a lot of things with it you can make it just a vip area you can make it you know um, baltimore birdland membership area or you can just charge admission to get up there um and you can utilize that in a lot of areas. Uh, so uh, that's that's something that they were looking at. And another thing, which is beneficial not only to the team, but the visitors as well, is upgrading the 
team and visitor home and visitor locker rooms. Um, as of right now, Orioles are in the bottom portion of the league in locker room um, advancement, I guess is the best way to put that. Uh, the Blue Jays and Red Sox recently upgraded their locking rooms and has put the Orioles in you know the lower part of the league when it comes to the comforts, anemones, and um, area opened up for that locker room. Um, so they want to also put a small child care center and family room for the family. Um, they want to bigger weight, uh, add bigger weight rooms, new equipment, um, have a larger family and socializing area for the players, um, upgrade the lockers, lighting and food area for the players and the coaches. You know, you want your team to perform well, well, you want your team comfortable too. So, you know, putting them in a, damp, stale locker room and being uncomfortable definitely is something that you don't want your team to experience. It's all right if the visitors do, you know, make them uncomfortable. Um, They're also talking about upgrading the video boards, uh, increasing the size of them for better viewership. There actually is room for that where some of the side video boards are. So that would definitely be good for the uh, fans. They're also in talking about improving the sound system in the stadium. That's something that definitely has been improved needs or has to be improved. There has been times at the games where it is a little bit harder to hear the announcers because the sound system's lagging um, or it's not up to date and modified to make it sound clearer. Um, So, you know, there's lots of things that can be done and those are interesting things that definitely will help improve the experience at uh, Camden Yards uh, help the fan experience, help the players. And that money coming in is just money that you can utilize towards, like I said, free agency or your own players. And it's all taxpayer funded. So it's essentially free money to the Orioles. So we'll see. Now, one thing I haven't been able to find out yet about the lease is, and I touched base on this in the breakdown of the memorandum of agreement there is as far as i know right now still have not heard but there is no no relocation clause and that's something that um i'm trying to find and get answered whether that be through the governor's office whether that be through um comptroller learman whether that be through the baltimore orioles i've reached out to all of them uh comptroller learman's office is the only one who has gotten back to me in all fairness, with the Baltimore Orioles, they were off uh, through Christmas um, or up until the 20th. And then Christmas, from my understanding, they've been off from the Friday before Christmas. And they will be off till January 2nd. So we will update that as soon as I get the information to update that. Um, so be on the lookout for that. It'll be coming out through the Baltimore Battery. Um, one of the pieces that, that I put out. Um, like I said, don't forget, Tuesday I will be interviewing Brooke Learman, uh, the comptroller of the state of Maryland. So we'll be able to get a little bit more information into the lease. Um, I just I want to keep you all, the listeners and our readers, informed of what's going on. Because a lot of the times we're not sure or fully aware of what is in these type of documents that are agreed upon with the state. And what Major League Baseball is doing behind the scenes. So the fact that it's our team we're cheering for, spending money on buying merchandise, you know, 
all those different things, I feel it's our responsibility as fans as well, but writers and, you know, hosts of a podcast to bring forth that information to you all. So you all have an idea of what's going on. You know, where does our team, you know, rate when it comes to us? Because we know where we feel about our team, even through the highs and lows, we're still here. But we want to make sure that our team feels the same way about us. Because if we're not appreciated, then what's the point in going out and supporting them, right? Right. Um, and some heartbreaking news that happened after the lease was signed. Um, unfortunately, former Baltimore Oriole Ryan Miner uh, passed away at the age of 49 from stage 4 colon cancer. Now, colon cancer, a lot of fans are familiar with that aspect from when Trey Mancini battled it. Um, Trey Mancini had stage 3 colon cancer, whereas Ryan Miner had stage 4. Um, it was announced at the beginning of December that Ryan uh, Miner had gone into hospice care. but uh, His twin brother had announced that. Um, so, unfortunately, Ryan Miner passed away on December 22nd. Late in the evening, it was announced by his twin brother. A lot of people who know the name Ryan Miner remember him as the player who helped to end Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak at 2,632 games. Um, Ryan Miner had been up with the team at that time for 11 days and made his major league debut on September 13th, 1998, which is the day Cal Ripken decided to take his first day off of work in almost 20 years. Um, Other players might remember Ryan Miner as manager of the Delmarva Shorebirds, uh, one of the more successful managers of the Shorebirds. But he also managed, excuse me, the Frederick Keys and then the uh, rookie, uh, rookie Coast League Tigers for the Baltimore Orioles and um, their minor league system. So, you know, he was decent, decent manager. He... Um, Managed 1,422 games, finished with a career record of 625 and 807. Now, mind you, like I said, rookie league, low A and high A baseball. So you're in the young developmental stages of most players. Um, He did teach them a fair share and had a couple 70 uh, 70 win teams with the Shorebirds. And if I remember correctly, I think he did have an 80 win team. Um, So... He is very well known through the Orioles organization. A lot of people know him a as the player who helped end Cal Ripken Jr. streak. Others know him as the manager for the Shorebirds. Many people are fortunate to know him as both. I personally got to see him play in Delmarva. Um, and I can tell you the person I met in Delmarva versus the person I met when he was managing the Shorebirds. It's a completely different person. Um, He's a nice guy both times, but as a player, when I first met him, he he had this aura of, uh, it wasn't cockiness. Well, I guess there's a little bit of cockiness, um, kind of leaning towards the arrogant side. But when I met him as a coach and got the chance to talk to him, he had mentioned that, you know, that was one of his problems as a ball player because, 
he was always dubbed as the person to replace Kyle Ripken Jr. And it kind of got the better of him. So, unfortunately for him, it didn't work out that way as he only lasted, you know, four seasons in the majors, three with the Orioles, one with the Montreal Montreal Expos, the now Washington Nationals, um, slash 177, 228, and 259. So, fortunately, some of the success he had in the minors did not translate into the majors, but he taught a lot of people. He touched a lot of people in ways that helped encourage them to keep going, to teach them the game of baseball in a manner that he learned to appreciate more as a manager than as a player. And those are words he he told me. He appreciated the game more as a manager than a player. He took it for granted as a player because it had, I don't want to say it had been easy, but it, it hadn't been difficult for him to adapt to the game until he got to the pros. So coming from him, those, you know, it's, it's, it's maturity of a player over time. And it's nice to see, you know, you see a player who's young up and coming, you know, um, with expectations, you know, and then this expectation has never come to fruition and he becomes manager and he uses those experiences to either shape him into a better manager and make his players better or to keep the same mindset and kind of hinder his players growth. So unfortunately Ryan Miner succumbed to his cancer at the age of 49 and that knowledge won't get passed on to other players going forward. Um, Our condolences go out to his family and his friends, players who supported him. He's a good person. A lot of people that came out and made comments on X, formerly of Twitter. So one thing they all said was how good of a person he was, how kind of a person he was to them. And I said the man I got to know versus the player I got to know definitely, definitely was a good person, kind person. And he didn't want that spotlight. He, he just wanted to go about his business teach players to play the game of baseball the right way and appreciate the game of baseball the right way. So I have an article out on the Baltimore battery where we go into remembering Ryan Miner. So if you want to head on over to the baltimorebattery.com, you can check that out as well. Um, Moving onward, you know, free agency is underway. uh, And I know a lot of people still holding their breath, waiting for the Baltimore Orioles to do something. And, you know, as I said in the last podcast, we got Craig Kimball. Um, One year, 13 million can be a two-year contract. But uh, to fill in as the closer role, uh, he's already going to be the closer, was announced that from the beginning. Um, There are some people upset, you know, talking about Yenier Cano should be the closer. Well, Yenier Cano converted three of eight save opportunities last year. Yenier Cano is better as a uh, closer than anything else. Or not a closer, as a setup man than a closer. And that's where he excelled. That's where we need him, and that's where we want him. Um, Putting him in a different position, especially when you have Bautista coming back the following year, is definitely a good thing. So we look forward to seeing how Kimbrell fills the shoes of Bautista. 
Now, Bautista is a unique and special talent, so he's not going to have the same flair and panache that Bautista comes out with. He's also not six foot eight, so there's a difference in height there that we might see from Kimbrel. But the Birdman's windup is and stance is definitely one for the ages. So his uniqueness will fit in. His veteran presence definitely will help the ball players, uh, especially out of the bullpen, and that can only do anything to help make them better. So there's an advantage to signing Kimbrel. As of right now, you know, we still haven't signed anybody free agency-wise, starting pitcher-wise. Um, I got a feeling if we do happen to make a move, it's going to come via trade. And we don't have to make a trade. That's the thing. Is I think people forget we don't have to make a trade. I still think, and a lot of people would like to see Dylan Cease in Baltimore, I still think the Chicago White Sox, unfortunately, are overvaluing Dylan Cease. He's their best pitcher, so they classify him as their top pitcher and number one starter. And unfortunately, on most of the teams he'd be traded to who are interested, he's not going to be the number one starter. So the valuation for this player is going to be higher for the White Sox than it is for teams like the Baltimore Orioles, the Boston Red Sox, you know, player teams like that do not see him as the front of the rotation starter. So like last season, it was rumored that the White Sox wanted Jackson holiday included in any deal that they made with the Orioles. He's as about as close to off limits as you can possibly get. You know, no player is ever off limits, but he's pretty much as close to it as you can get. And I'd probably throw, you know, Heston Kerstead, maybe Kobe Mayo, because the Orioles brass is very high on Kobe Mayo as players who are probably the most untouchable. But I think a package of Joey Ortiz, Connor Norby, and Kyle Stowers, could possibly get a Dylan Cease deal. And a lot of people are like, well, what about Kowser? Well, I, I value Kowser a little bit higher than most people might. And people are going off in a short stint with the Baltimore Orioles last year, which, you know, was not good. But then you got to remember how it took Gunnar Henderson to adapt to major league pitching. Adley Rutschman went through the same thing. And I think people forget about that. Same thing's going to happen with Kowser. He's got to adapt and get used to it. But Kyle Stowers, former top prospect, who just basically, unfortunately, does not have a place in our system right now. Now, Michael Elias says otherwise, but he didn't specify in our system. He specified he has a long career ahead of him. Uh, good outfielder with uh, nice power, um, pretty decent defensively. And I see him probably as a 5-6 batter in a lineup, 7 at worst. Um, he will strike out bunches, uh, but if he's hitting you 20, 30 home runs, driving you 80, 90 runs and hitting about 260, 270, that's definitely a type of bat you want in a lineup. Uh, Joey Ortiz, um, you know, filling at shortstop or second base. Uh, he could also play some third base and then Connor Norby, you know, once again, he can do a little bit of outfield work. He's also can play second base. They're all good young players. Two of them are uh, top prospects, have been in the top 100. 
Uh, Kyle Stowers was in the top five prospects in our in our organization before he lost his uh, prospect status. So I think you could possibly get something. You could get Dylan Cease for the right right pieces, but if I'm throwing in Colton Kowser, you're not getting as many prospects. If and you're definitely not getting Jackson Holiday from us. And sooner or later, you know, the White Sox are going to be put in a position where they're going to have to make a move rather than deal with an unpleasant, unhappy player. And the White Sox are basically in that position for rebuild. So the smart move is get what you can, not what you want. It's not a race right now because first it was... They wanted to make the trade and try to get it done at the winter meetings. Then it was, we'll wait until after the Yamamoto signing. That happened, of course, that was blockbuster. Just FYI, the Dodgers have spent more on four players over the last two years than what the entire Orioles organization is valued at. And they're valued at $1.7 billion by Forbes magazine. So the Dodgers have spent $1.8 billion between Yamamoto, um, Otani, Mookie Betts, and Tyler Glasnow. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> That's a topic for another day, though. Um, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Like I said, unless anything changes or anything breaking comes out between now and then, we're probably looking at the middle of January for our return. We will be doing an announcement on X formerly known as Twitter, because uh, pitchers and catchers actually report not too far after that. Um, pitchers and catchers start reporting middle of February, between February 13th through 15th. So we will be back probably around January 15th, um, a couple of days before or after. January 15th falls on a Monday, so probably look for us on the 17th or 18th to return. Get get us back into the swing of prepping for spring training in the regular season. Season 2 will be back. We will have a lot of new things going on as we have some marketing people working with us. We are going to be working on making some videos on YouTube during our, our bro, um, broadcast. Um, so we're going to get a little bit more step forward in progress. Uh, probably even going to redesign the logo we have for us that you find on the podcast areas. Um, also, I want to make mention real quick that our very own Zachary Bucklow of the Baltimore Battery is going to be releasing his own podcast. Um, that's going to come starting in February. You can head on over to most pod, uh, Spotify and most areas where you find your podcast and you could locate it. The name of the podcast is going to be the, uh, excuse me, it is itching. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I had a dry throat. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. The final flight hosted by Zachary Bucklow. you can be able to find it on Spotify and most, places that podcasts are stream. Um, he will be delving in mostly to the minor league system of the Baltimore Orioles. So I'm sure him and me will get together and actually, you know, 
has some collaborations. Um, he was on the show last year. Great show. Um, also, you want to head over to the Baltimore Battery. We have a lot of different things out there right now. Uh, most recent was article I posted winning the losing game. Uh, Orioles were the last team to be able to lose to obtain the top draft pick and build the team that way. See how they're doing it and why other teams don't have the ability to do that anymore. Um, last week, we also have the Remembering Ryan Miner, about $600 million goodbye. And also, you have Johnny Angelos, the new Dan Snyder. <laughs> One of my toxic ones for people, apparently. Um, Zachary has a uh, uh, series going on. Uh, five people you might have forgotten that. Pitchers, catchers, position players who played for the Baltimore Orioles. Really interesting series. You want to check it out. Um, Justin Supton has an article out about true honors that the Orioles receive. Um, so like I said, BaltimoreBattery.com. About the Baltimore Battery, I wouldn't be here doing this. also want to thank our sponsor, the great Scooters for Rent. Um, if you're ever in the Maryland, Delaware area and you're looking for mobility devices, handicap, um, scooters, electric wheelchairs, manual wheelchairs, beach wheelchairs, lift recliners, and so on, give Scooters for Rent a call at 302-280-6203. Tell them Steven sent you from the final strike. Other than that, I want to wish everybody a happy new year. We will see you next season for the start of season two. Thank everybody again for all your support, all your love. Happy new year, everybody. Peace out. A spawn is one strike from victory. Two outs. And here's what you pay to see. The best ever. Barone's in a chance on this pitch. Deep left field.